through 10. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. How can we be made right? The question of how we're made right, or uh, what we most basically and simply call, what is our salvation? What does it mean to be justified? Uh, is a question uh, that is very important to us. It's a question that is not only important to us, uh, but the world around us tends to deal with this question too. Not on the same level that we do, but not in maybe not in the terms of how are we made right with an eternal God, but they ask the question, uh, what is right? What is morally right? Uh, what, is, what does it mean to have a justice uh, between me and the world around me? Uh, and this plays itself out in different ways. Uh, I remember being fresh out of high school, sitting in a um, junior college history class uh, and learning about the principle of reciprocity. Uh, we talk about reciprocity. It means if I do something for you or if you do something for me, I feel the need to do something back for you so that we can be right with each other. Uh, but in essence, all that means is I don't want you to have something over me. So I'm going to do something back so I don't feel like I owe you anything. And the world looks at that as a form of that's how we are made right with one another. Or perhaps they have this idea of uh, what is morally right. If uh, you steal something from me, you should be punished. That is what is right and just. And you must uh, be accounted for how you act. When we talk about our salvation, though, we know that it's something greater. It becomes to be, it's the core of our faith. What does it mean to be right and just before the God of all creation? And if we can be made right, how are we made right? Is it something that we do? Or is it something that someone else does? This past uh, October, we remembered the Reformation, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and one of the major tenets of the Reformation uh, was the issue of justification. And, and this issue of justification really became a point of contention, not only uh, with the Reformers and Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, but really with uh, Reformers and anyone who uh, did not hold to this idea of justification. Uh, the Council of Trent, which was a, a Roman Catholic council, uh, said this in response to the Reformation when it came to justification. It says, if anyone says that men are justified 
either by the sole imputation of the justice of Christ or by the sole remission of sins to the exclusion of the grace and charity that are within them, let them be anathema, which means let them be cursed. In essence, their response was this. If you say I am made right in Christ alone and his forgiveness of sins alone and not because I do something good, then you're cursed. This was the response of Trent to the Reformation. They rejected this idea of justification alone. This idea put forth uh, in John Calvin when he says, it is entirely by the intervention of Christ's righteousness that we obtain justification before God. This is equivalent to saying that man is not just in himself, but that they are righteous, but that they have the righteousness of Christ communicated to them by imputation. What is it that troubled uh, those who were against the Reformation? They didn't understand how can you say, you sinner, and they looked at themselves and said, I'm a sinner. How can I be right if I still sin? That was their point of contention. How can I be right? And they they said, uh, it's legal fiction. It's as if you went in the court and said, uh, yeah, I murdered that guy, but I'm not guilty. I'm admitting to murder, but I'm saying I'm not guilty. That's what they equated it to. It cannot happen. It cannot be. We must do something to balance the scales. Right? If I was did something bad against someone, I've got to bring the scales back up. That was the argument. But the reality is this. All sides are trying to answer the same question. On what basis does God declare someone or accept someone as worthy of fellowship? How can they be made right? It's that same question. How can I be made right Is it on the basis of what we do or is it on the basis of what someone else does? And this is really the question that is being answered here in Hebrews. Remember, if you haven't been with us, remember the writer of Hebrews is encouraging, exhorting on the verge of arguing with the people. You have this great and rich faith and you're tempted to abandon it. Let me tell you why you shouldn't. So in light of that, we come and see three things this morning. First, what does salvation require? Second, how did Jesus accomplish salvation? And third, for whom did he accomplish it? What does salvation require? How did Jesus accomplish salvation? And for whom did he accomplish it? Let's begin by looking at what does salvation require? What is necessary for someone to enjoy... Eternal, eternal fellowship with God. The answer to that is found in his word. If you want to enjoy eternal fellowship with me, then be perfect. That's his answer. It's as simple as that. Be perfect. Uh, be perfect to what? He says, okay, well, here's my law. Be perfect to my law. You need to do all of it perfectly. So it comes in two, in two ways. Positively, you must manifest the holiness set forth in the law. Uh, negatively, you must not do anything 
the law tells you you should not do. You must be righteous. You must be clothed in perfect righteousness with not one blot, with not one blemish, with not one stain. For some, if, and this is the old EE question. I don't know if EE is evangelism explosion. Uh, it's something that is, has a, had great effect. Um, I'm sure if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've probably heard something about EE. But they asked this question. One of the things EE asks is, if you were standing before God in heaven tonight, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you in? What would you say? And more often than not, a lot, most people might say something like this. Well, I've been a good enough person. I've done enough good things. In essence, they say, I have made myself righteous. I have become righteous. I have earned enough to come before God. This is what many opponents to the Reformation said. They would say, yes, without Christ, you could never be righteous. Christ enables it to become possible. But once he makes it possible, then you have to go on and do the rest. Through a combination of sacraments, uh, through penance, through all these different things, you could earn your way into heaven. Maybe you go to church enough. Maybe you're part of some philanthropic organizations. Maybe you do good things. And then you go before the throne of God and you stand there and you say, much like my son this morning after he came out of Sunday school and walked up to my wife and said, look what I made for you. That's what we're doing, right? We go before God and we say, look what I did for you. Aren't you happy with me? But perfect, perfect righteousness is the standard. And we see this all over scripture. When you look at the Old Testament, there's many points in the Old Testament where you go, you might read it and go, man, that was harsh. You think of Uzzah who is, they're moving the ark, right? It's, it's been at his house for some time. And, of course, they didn't do it obediently. They didn't put the poles on. They just threw it on the back of a cart, right? And the cart's about to tip. And Uzzah's like, oh, we can't let the ark of the covenant fall in the mud. And he touches the ark. He wasn't allowed to touch the ark. And what happened? He died. He died. He died. Yes. He died. And you go, that doesn't seem fair. Or you think of Nadab and Abihu who sacrificed in an improper manner the strange fire. And when they did it improperly, what happened? They died. And you look at these examples and you go, well, isn't that harsh? And the Old Testament's point was to say this to us. The standard is perfection. Anything short of perfection is death. You are supposed to obey perfectly. The punish for disobedience, 
this is Genesis, you know, early Genesis stuff. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Death is the punishment for disobedience. And there's nothing you can do in and of yourselves to be righteous enough. Because it's foreign to us. We're sinners. We're sons and daughters of wrath. Righteousness is the standard, and we cannot hold to that standard. So what are we to do? Salvation requires righteousness, and we can't do it. So what do we do? We need someone who's going to do it for us. And the writer says here, that person is Jesus. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Also could be translated obedience. Because of his obedience, Jesus was able to provide for us salvation. In the days of his flesh, this word flesh here is a fairly comprehensive term, but in essence means this, while he was in flesh. While he was in in the days when Jesus was on earth, he was obedient perfectly. And he was subject to danger, he was subject to temptation, he was subject to all the things of this life. He was subject to the obligation of the law, every last bit of it. You begin to see this. Jesus' earthly ministry begins very purposefully. You come and Jesus is, goes to John the Baptist. John, who's out in the wilderness, he, he's that prophet, right? Camel hair and eating locusts and honey. Baptizing people for forgiveness of sins. And Jesus comes and says, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. And John says, no, I need you to baptize me. John knew something, right? Even if later he doubted it. He says, no, I need you to baptize me. And Jesus says, it is right. It is right. That I would be baptized. By you. To fulfill all. Righteousness. It's fitting. For Jesus to be baptized. And we see in that baptism. This declaration This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. We see the spirit of God. And from this moment, where does Jesus go? The desert, the wilderness. He's tempted. Yet he obeyed perfectly, never failing the father. And we see this, 1 Peter 2, 2. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus in the flesh was perfectly obedient. Not only was he perfectly obedient, it says he learned obedience and you go how how can jesus learn obedience right sometimes we fail to appreciate i think the humanity of jesus 
Uh, we, when we say he's both God and man, that means he's both God and man. And we can downplay that manhood. He, he learned obedience in the flesh. Uh, you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's like, hey, God, if there's any other way than the way that I know is coming, let's do the other way. But not my will, your will be done. He learned obedience in the flesh for us. His obedience opened the way for sinners to receive salvation. So what is the result of this? Verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Because of his obedience, because of his coming in the flesh, he was made the source of salvation. The way that was closed, the thing that we could not obtain, was made possible by God. Or, excuse me, by Jesus and his obedience. John Calvin says this, He became the author of our salvation because he made us just in the sight of God when he remedied the disobedience of Adam by a contrary act of obedience. He remedied the disobedience of Adam, that disobedience we all share in, by a contrary act of obedience. This is the basis which we stand before the throne of God. Our faith does not make us righteous. Our faith lays hold of the righteousness of another. We lay hold in faith to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who became our perfect Savior and our perfect High Priest. And there is no breach of justice in this. It is the only way that it could happen. It is a righteousness that is a gift of God's grace. And there will be a time where we will, here's the thing, right now we are reckoned righteous. God looks at us and he sees us as righteous because he sees the righteousness of Christ. Uh, yet, even though we are reckoned righteous right now, we are not actually perfectly righteous right now, are we? We know we're not. We know we struggle in sin. But there's a time that is coming where we will not only be reckoned righteous, but we will be made perfectly righteous. That process that is going on now, that sanctification, that being made holy, will be consummated in our glorification. But for now, we need to understand Jesus has provided Everything that we need, sent by God, tempted as we were tempted, but perfect in all ways. It's the wondrous message, the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You know that hymn? Rock of Ages, right? Right, it is catchy. <laughs> nothing. We bring nothing. 
We cling to the cross of Jesus Christ alone. This is the finished work of Jesus. On the cross, he took our sins upon himself. And at the same time, he took his righteousness and applied it to us. Imputation. It's a fancy word that means put on. You got up this morning and you put on clothes. Clothes were imputed to you. Not exactly. But you understand what I'm saying. Christ took our sin and he put it on. But he did not leave us naked. He took his righteousness and he put it on us. He stands between us and the wrath of God and he took it all. comes by faith alone through the spirit's working alone so salvation required righteousness Christ was able to provide the salvation because of his perfect obedience so who did he accomplish it for the writer of Hebrews tells us at the end of verse 9 and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. At this point, you might go, Daniel, you just said that it's not about our obedience, it's about Jesus' obedience. Yes, that's absolutely right. What is the evident mark of the righteousness of God being put on you? Obedience. We must respond in obedience. If you don't trust in Christ, this is bad news because he's not, uh, his grace is not upon you. But if you trust in his saving work, if Christ is your savior, if Christ has paid the debt for your sins, if you're clothed in his righteousness, then a mark of that is obedience to him. Faithful obedience. We understand we cannot be righteous in and of ourselves. We, but we still obey we confess our need. We put off the old works and we put on Christ. But as we put on Christ, we understand there is no fellowship between light and dark. There is no fellowship between the light and darkness. And so we obey. Why should you not turn from the saving faith of Jesus Christ why should you not turn from it? Because it's the only way. And, and we do this in many ways. Some may come and be confronted with Jesus and they just reject him outright. And say, I want no part of that. Maybe they've been in church for a while and then they reject it. But I think a sneakier way that we have to wrestle with daily is this. This, this lie that says... Jesus can only get you so far. Jesus can only get you so far and you have to do the rest. Because the Bible says, God helps those who help themselves. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm being a little facetious, facetious here. That's not true, but that's the lie we say. God helps those who help themselves. 
So we begin to make our list of things we must do to balance the scales. And the writer of Hebrews comes to and says to us, on what basis, he reminds us, on what basis do you approach the throne of God? Not on what you do. You can't pray enough. You can't do enough good works. You can't do enough good things. With Paul, we must understand, if Christ is ours, if he has died for us, then our righteousness, Paul says, is what? Filthy rags. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Only when we place our hope in Jesus can we be saved, knowing that we struggle in sin, knowing we continue, but we have secured victory in Christ who has accomplished it for us. So we obey, not as a mean to justify ourselves, but as an evidence for what Christ has done in our lives. He who has freed us from the tyranny of trying to be good enough, who enables us to serve him with joy and with gladness. This is what the writer has for us today. In essence, we could summarize it like this. The standard is perfection. This is the standard. Be perfect, obey all that the law's demands. Oh, and by the way, you can't do that. You can't earn for yourself salvation. Only Jesus can earn salvation for you. He accomplished it for us in what he did. Therefore, be obedient. Not to earn your righteousness, not to earn salvation, but because he has done it for you. The proper response to the gift we have been given is obedience to him. Do not turn and rest in this world. Do not turn and trust in yourself. Remain firm, resting and trusting in what God has done for you. He's reminding us of our salvation. Next week, we're going to see this warning of what happens when you do, do turn away. But for today, the message is this. Cling to the cross of Christ. Come with empty hands. Rest secure in what Christ has done for you. Understand that the world is empty. Your own efforts are empty. Come. See Jesus. Rest secure in what he's done. Cling to the cross of Christ. And there no hope. Know the salvation that has been provided for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you that he has indeed provided the salvation for us. Lord, would we, because we are t daily tempted to secure for us some means of righteousness, but we know that it is empty. Would we hold firm to you? Would we rest secure in you? We ask and pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's now stand as you're able, singing our closing hymn, Sanctuary. <laughs>